Hey, Bob, what are we going to do today? Kevin, I think we're going to talk about new technology. Is it actually new technology or is it old technology that's just got some new window dressing? And we're probably going to wander and talk about a bunch of other crap as well. So I'm Bob from The Bob and Kevin Show. And that guy over there that you can't see is Kevin. Say hey, Kevin. Hey, Kevin. I knew you were going to do that again. That's going to be the new thing. So I'm going to turn it over to you to kind of kick this thing off because I feel like you have a lot more information and I'm going to just be providing color commentary for this episode. (laughs) All right. Thank you for the uh, perfect segue, Bob. So really today, let's, let's start by setting the table. So, you know, growing up, a kid born in the 70s, you kind of see technology as a kid and you're wowed by it and you grow up and you're like, oh, this is cool and this is going to change my life. And then certain technology actually gets reintroduced more than once. And you're kind of like, wait, what? Wait a second. We already had that. You can't like call this glitch, again. glitch in the matrix, glitch in the matrix. And, and for me, the classic example is 3D. So like 3D glasses. So as a kid, you start out with like the red and the blue, you know, paper glasses. And, you know, you got the book, you open it up and it's got like the red or the blue. And, you know, you can only see through the color, you know, with the glasses on. That's like, oh, that's cool. It's kind of like a 3D, but not, I don't even know what that's even called. But then we had 3D movies. Um, and that actually started before I was even born. I think that's like yeah. a 1960s thing. I was yeah. going to say maybe even the early 60s. We'd have to have the fact checkers look that up. But it's and, and fast forward to, you know, somewhere in the 2000s where, where I purchased a high def TV that came with 3D glasses because they said, oh, well, you're going to want this is a salesperson. You're going <laughs> to want the one with 3D enabled because we're going to have all this 3D content and it's going to be great. So I have a really high-end HD TV with 3D glasses, and I've never, ever, ever seen any content for it. Didn't there used to be a 3D channel, but I bet you it still doesn't exist. I'm betting if it did exist, it was 18 and over content, if you know what I'm saying. So, so let's parlay that kind of thought, not well, the 3D glasses part (laughs) (laughs) into um, technology, because we like to talk about technology. It seems like when I look at advertising and marketing, Twitter, social media, that what is old is somehow new again. And when I kind of look at the details, at least at face value, I'm looking at this and going, God, we've already had this before. So from a high-level perspective, the, the, uh, the accused technologies are going to be machine learning, artificial intelligence, uh, augmented reality, virtual reality, and a little sprinkling of blockchain. And I'll try to keep tabs, make sure we go through them all. So high-level, Bob, um, is this new technology, those that I just mentioned, or is it old technology with a new marketing team that came in and said, let's repackage this. I'm going to go with B for most of them, but I'm very curious of how the conversation is going to go with a couple of those elements. So um, let me, let me prejudice the jury okay. even further if you, if, if you don't mind. So if we look at artificial intelligence, we can say, yeah, you know, I see a lot of advertisements, but I would counter that artificial intelligence has been around since, I don't know, from my perspective, it's a gaming thing where you play Super Nintendo or even NES or even the Atari 2600 where you have the bad guy and he's throwing punches at you. Remember like the old Atari like boxing game you ever played? Oh, yeah. Oh, Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, I control uh, the one player, but the computer controls the other player and it knows how to kind of duck and dodge and it has basically an algorithm. That is in a most basic form a form of artificial intelligence. However, it is algorithm-based. So, so there's, there's exhibit A for that. Exhibit B is machine learning. Wait, That's wait, let's, go, wait, wait, let's go back to this artificial right. intelligence, the old version of artificial intelligence. Yes. It's, are, are you planning a further unpacking level or can we just jump in with that one? You know what? Yeah, you're right. Let's, do, let's, let's uh, try the technologies one at a time, Your Honor. Okay. So, so we're going to start with quote unquote AI. Correct. 
All right. So you had mentioned the boxing game and even like, I was thinking like handheld, that handheld football game where the defenders, they followed a pattern. So, but so the difference between this old AI or the distinguishing facet for this old AI for me is that it didn't evolve like the, the patterns were the patterns. So pretty much every game, even if it was opponent based, you could figure out the punch sequence to knock out, you know, glass jaw Joe or whatever, you know, from that game punch out. Mike Tyson's punch out, baby. Yes. So you could figure out the sequences and just like that handheld football game from ColecoVision or whatever it was, you could figure out the sequence to get to the sideline and just left arrow it or right arrow it all the way down. So I think one of the challenges is the word intelligence, because if you think about people and intelligence, there's infinite levels of intelligence. So there's some people that just follow the pattern and you can figure out the pattern and get around them. And then there's people who adapt and learn with the patterns. So that would be more like a newer form of AI, but it's right. So, so I would posit to you, Mr. Beatty bar that that we've gotten more sophisticated in our AI, but under the covers, if you look at it, it's really just an algorithm. An al- algorithm is something that every programmer does on a day-to-day basis. Follow these steps and you will get to the path of righteousness, or at least you'll get the right output. One of the two. <laughs> so um, now I played a game called StarCraft in the late 90s uh, from Blizzard, and you could be uh, the Protoss, the Terrans, or the uh, Zerg. And each one has a distinctive personality, if you will, on how to play them. It's, it's just like Tyson's Punch-Out. Depending on who you're fighting, you had to know their strengths, their weaknesses, how to duck, how to dodge. But it got a lot more sophisticated. And if we play that out to year 2018, my question for you is, or statement first. Statement is, is I'm sure we've gotten more sophisticated in our algorithms. But have we actually made any sort of leaps into um, something that would qualify as, oh, my gosh, this is great and new. We have to market this as something different. Well, no, I think that, that the, the database of pre-programmed options because of storage, memory, efficiencies of, you know, uh, coding practices, those kind of things make it possible for there to be more pre-coded sequences that the machine, the computer can go through. I think the biggest test point would be if I face you in a video game and you're the computer controlled bot, the AI bot, and if I use a certain sequence the first time and the same sequence again to defeat you the second time, the true test would be is if there was data being collected and stored that then changed that character's potential for movement to not get suckered by the same sequence the third time. Does so that now exist? Now would be a good time to differentiate or delineate the difference between AI and machine learning. Yes, I need that. AI is just simple algorithms. Think of it as if-then-else switch um, right. statements, whereas machine learning um, is statistical analysis. It is learning what worked and what didn't work. So I think that's more what you're looking for is more of a machine learning. So, well, so wait, does, so then does marketing screw up AI? Like when we're talking uh, about Sophia, when we're talking about Sophia, the robot, she doesn't refer to herself or the marketing doesn't refer to her as machine learning. It refers to her as artificial intelligence, which if, if that's the case and you go by the strict definition, she is just, if then else, statements so i you're familiar with the a decision tree right where yeah start here you know <laughs> go left you you know is your favorite color blue okay go this way is your you know and so on and so forth so these decision trees are essentially codified and that's what to me artificial intelligence is it's simply a decision tree now you can make these decision trees sophisticated as you want but at the end of the day these decision trees are the only possible avenues outcomes possible for ai so when we talk about machine learning then 
it can weigh data collection and experience to possibly take that decision tree and modify a branch. Yeah, I'm familiar or with add a, a branch. I'm familiar with a scatter chart. So think of a two-dimensional Ish. chart. You got your X and Y, and uh, you know, let's let's try to do something. What happened? Okay, chart the result here. Let's try to do it again. Chart the result, and you can see where you can get the collection of results kind of um, coalesce in one area. You'll have your edge cases, but machine learning will look at that and go, well, you know what? There's a good chance that this is the right answer. So before we get to more into machine learning, because I think it's a good segue, um, you asked me a question about marketing. Are we marketing wrong? And I think they are, but they want it to be marketed wrong. Why do I say that? So that's a damn good question. Why do you say that? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for asking. Uh, Because a lot of people when they hear AI, they immediately get a science fiction and think of sentient robots that may or may not take over the world, or they may be data from Star Trek Next Generation where you know he's trying to discover his own humanity. And I think if we put artificial intelligence into Sophia and, and personify it, um, all the developers know damn full well that it'll never be more than an algorithm or, or paired with machine learning. It will never be conscious. It will never be alive. But the cardinal rule is, is we don't tell anyone that. We don't acknowledge that elephant in the room because that, that, it's like seeing how the magic trick works. And as long as you believe in the magic trick, the coin actually <laughs> reappeared from behind your ear, Bob, um, then you're more interested. You know, that, that's more titillating for, from a marketing perspective. Because if I came at you and just said, we have the best algorithms in the, in the entire universe, um, or we have amazing artificial intelligence, which one do you... Are you more interested? Right. So it is apparently a sexier term, but it's being inaccurately applied, I think, in some cases. First of all, pause for anybody who's the first time listening to the show. I'm a huge fan of Sophia the Robot. You should look her up online. I actually do think she identifies as female, which is interesting. Um, but anyway, so there's all kinds of stuff going on there. But they, she's marketed as artificial intelligence, but if you read into, you know, her history, her quote unquote birth, that kind of thing, she is designed to collect information and apparently learn from those experiences. So she references herself as still being like a toddler. So it's funny you mentioned that she identifies herself as female, which is great. You can identify as any gender you want. But does she identify as that or was she programmed to do that? That's a damn good question. And I don't know if we have access privileges to get that answer because that might be seeing behind the curtain and maybe it is all a sham. Is Sophia open source? I don't think so, right? No, that is proprietary Hanson Robotics technology. All right. So, Bob, during our show prep, I came across a gentleman from... uh, (laughs) Berkeley, California, I believe. Uh, a couple uh, smart people go there. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, his name is John Searley. Surly. I'm totally messing that up, I'm sure. Um, actually, he was born in Denver, Colorado. He's a philosopher, but he has a very um, interesting um, thought experiment called the Chinese Room. And since he's not a computer scientist, some computer scientists just immediately dismiss this. But I'll try to get through the gist of what the Chinese room thought experiment is. So supposing you created a algorithm that could understand the Chinese language and it could pass the Turing test, meaning a human Chinese speaker would not be able to tell if it was real or not. That I means you passed the Turing test. Um, if, if a human being actually replicated the steps, the algorithm, uh, Let's say, uh, Bob, you went to a room and you were able to process the Chinese language through a series of steps and then hand the message back. And that same human Chinese speaker couldn't tell whether or not uh, you were a native Chinese speaker or not. You would also pass the Turing test and you would also convince this native Chinese speaker that hey, you must know Chinese. But but you and I both know, no, actually you don't. All you're doing is you're following the series of steps. You have no idea what the message is say because you don't truly understand it. You can only mimic or simulate something that's happening. So, oh, go. 
Yep. Okay. So yeah, I don't want you to jump off of that one so quickly yet. So, but isn't that basically like if I did that, ran through the steps enough times after enough iterations, I could say, I could almost predict what the answers are going to be because I'm starting to learn how to connect the pieces of the puzzle to give the output that's required, much yeah. like a child would learn. Ah, yes, you would actually, in fact, I would agree that eventually you would know exactly given this input what the output will be, but you will still have no idea what it says in, in English. Okay. And that's that's okay. the thought experiment. Right, so, so put yourself in the mind of, a, of an infant. Yes. Has no concept of language at birth. Yes. Basically, that child does the Chinese room experiment and they test output based on the input in the programming that they're given. So you start with, you know, dad, dad, mama, point, view, repeat, mimic. They don't, it takes them a while to connect that, but they do connect it. And it, it, and that continues all the way up through even to where we are now. We're always testing input that we're given. We're told, hey, this is how you do X, Y, Z. You follow steps X, Y, Z. Oh yeah, it worked out, but I wouldn't be able to do that on my own and wouldn't know exactly when to apply it, but you do it 35 times, but all of a sudden you know when to apply it and then you know it. All right, so to reiterate, if, if um, the input was a research paper of 100 100, um, 100 characters and we processed it and we handed it back, um, we would still never know the meaning of the words. We, we could organize it, but we'd still never know the meaning because there's no positive feedback. So the infant gets positive feedback. Dada, he sees that and there is a affirmation. You will get no affirmation ever that the characters you're looking at have particular meaning. You will just have, you will just look at them and go, they go in a particular order and that's all I understand. Not okay, so, but that's a single program. So that single program is neither artificial nor intelligent. It's, it's rote. But you that know. is the definition of our artificial intelligence, an algorithm, a series of steps, period, end statement. Okay. So then I'm more of a fan of, once again, artificial intelligence possibly being misapplied to things that are actually, or, or does this not exist? Do we not have any technology at this point that actually can take input in response get things wrong, then through repeated attempts, get them right. So we do actually, and that's going to be more on the machine learning side of right. things because you can actually introduce, um, you can have supervised and unsupervised machine learning and you can give positive feedback, you can give negative feedback and you can. So um, one thing to I'm know- I'm done with it, artificial intelligence then because that's basically glorified Pong. So first, yeah. first victim, it's just repackaged crap. <laughs> so, and, and to be clear, who is the gatekeeper on who, de who decides what's AI and what's machine, you know, where you, cause the line sometimes, you know, butts up against with machine learning. And, but what I think, um, marketers do, they kind of use AI as the top term and just say all that computer smart, smarty stuff, those assistants, that's all AI. And, you know, I, to keep the public, you know, cause the public doesn't want to, a grandma doesn't want to say, Hey, this cool machine learning. I mean, she probably doesn't even want to say artificial intelligence, but <laughs> she might get AI over machine learning. Real so <laughs> I'll give them a bit of a credit that, you know, okay, they're using AI like a catch-all term. Right. But in general, I think AI and how it's um, pitched is a bit snake oily and it's marketing and it's repackaging, like you said, um, <laughs> an algorithm it's based. more complex decision trees same yes. same premise as the you know the boxers in mike tyson punch out but yes but more complex okay so we've, we've talked uh ai and we've flirted with machine learning so let's let's actually go all in on machine learning so yes. definition according to wikipedia here is a subset of ai which uh Computer science uses statistical techniques to give computers the ability to learn. And so this is where um, I'm going to say, sounds cool, sign me up. But then if you think about it a little more, wait a second. All we're doing is statistical analysis. And this has been around since, gosh, the early 20s, actually probably 
hundreds of years, right? Given this, you know, it's a mathematic. Um, Did they call it predictive technologies before they called it machine learning? Because that seems more along the statistical analysis, the predictive. I, I wouldn't analysis. bet against you, but I, I don't really know that. It just but, feels like that. But here we have, you know, scatter charts and feedback mechanisms and uh, things like that. Now, Machine learning even gets one layer deeper. It's called deep learning. And uh, that's where neural networks are, are brought in and data uh, from Star Trek had a neural brain, neural network. And all that is is uh, basically even more uh, computationally intensive decision trees and statistical analysis. The problem with deep learning is it's actually completely impractical with today's technology because it's so compute intensive. So the, the big thing that irks me about machine learning is if I have a picture of a hamburger <laughs> and uh, we want to know, hey, computer, tell me what I'm looking at. And it gives you like a 96% uh, probability that it's a hamburger. And we all go, that's awesome. But what the fuck's the other 4% is what I got to say. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it thinks it's a volcano. It thinks it's, you know, uh, you know something weird. And when it comes to that sort of thing, um, I, if, if we like overlay that on humans, you know, I can get a kid wouldn't get that right. But, you know, young kid, but starting at like five or four, or shoot, my three-year-old would get that right. Uh, all the way up through adulthood, it's a hundred percent. And I well, think if we look, Right. And this is where it gets really sketchy though, is because you would never pay a three-year-old who might hit a 96% on, is it a hamburger? You would never pay that three-year-old to tell you if it was a hamburger, but yet there's companies selling that exact technology to wire into your products. Exactly. And, it, and it's got 96% accuracy. <laughs> now, uh, I've, I've seen applications of this, like you, you wouldn't want a giant phallus as a profile image. Um, so I get the practical application, but does it get it 100% right all the time? I'm curious. Just... That's a really weird curiosity, but now I want to know. But you know, it's not going to get it right 100% of the time because it sounds like this technology, the deep or the machine learning is still too young. The data sets aren't big enough yet. And so let's say a company or even a government goes all in on machine learning. Guys, we're going to create these autonomous drones and we're going to train them to know what a bad guy is, what a civilian is, what a woman, what a child, what a enemy combatant is and it will be very good and they you and i know that well it's never going to be 100 percent. and then they may defend and say well you know the gi on the ground can you know sometimes is wrong to to say that too but here's what is also very easy to do in a machine learning situation um you can also train it to do the opposite of what you want (laughs) instead of taking out enemy combatants take out women children you know soft targets and you can do so by just infecting their data store right because their scatter charts now say instead of making a decision over here we're going to just poison your data and now your entire arsenal squadron of autonomous bots have now turned against the master so to speak now i could also argue that that can actually be done with people as well you can reorganize their scatter charts and program them to the find the other or that somebody that's not the other is the other. So you know, maybe it's that's more called, like uh, isn't that called Fox news, CNN, MSNBC. <laughs> isn't that the vehicle for that? <laughs> right. But I mean, you know, we kind of had some offline conversations about how this isn't really possible because it won't really be like people. It won't be like learning like that kind of intelligence, but it kind of almost mirrors it. Doesn't it? It, it does in a really, um, black mirror sort of way, you know, um, morals and ethics and all that. Um, part of the uh, uh, thought experiment with the, uh, the Chinese room and John Searley, he, he supposed or posits that, and I believe this too, we can come up with the most fancy algorithms, the most fancy deep learning, machine learning out there. But at the end of the day, it does not understand what it's doing. All it is, is is looking and making statistical analysis. There is no morals, ethics, and and all of that. So it's like we can uh, get really super close, but we can never cross the gap into real 
you know, Sophia can never really identify her own gender other than being told what it is, in my opinion. So if that machine says it feels like it has all the qualities given the data that she's collected or that machine is collected, that machine is not capable of saying that they've decided that they identify as a woman. Well, if we overlay that on real humans, what decides our gender biologically? It's, it's your XY chromosome, you know, Oh, you're, you're stepping in a giant slippery bucket of poop right now. I'm, I'm flirting with some, some topics there, but, but the point is, is, um, they're, (laughs) that's true because do you, do, do you believe that you are biologically created to be a gender or do you get to pick on your own and yada, yada, yada. So I'm not going to weigh in on all that, but the, the point should back away, back yes, away quickly. Slowly. The the point is, um, Sophia is is probably just reading an algorithm, or she's looking at cultural. She's been given machine learning. Hey, Sophia, your name's Sophia. That's a feminine name. So mark something down over here. You know who gave her the name Sophia? You know, did she give herself the name? No, because she was born and well turned on, and the main programmer said, "Hello, Sophia." Like that she was has, right, and she has a feminine look to her. So there, there's some intrinsic um, things, and you could wow, argue you're, that you're still stepping in that slippery bucket of poop right now. <laughs> you know, you know. <laughs> but once again, though, I will argue that this is this is fodder that it's really not as far like as far off as we think because it it really is that that whole example that you're outlining is following a real world development of a human being story yeah so so there are some parallels here and back to john surley he basically said simulating is great but that don't make you conscious and I think what we are looking at with machine learning and artificial intelligence is a whole lot of simulating or emulating something that they are not, nor probably ever will be. So that's just uh, my humble opinion. I, I, I know there's groups out there who are like, you know, stop the automated weapons. And I think you can automate a lot of killing things without it having a, you know, any sort of consciousness. Um, but I also think we'll never be able to... Cr- we should never create automated weapons because you can't give it a conscience. <laughs> and every, everyone who has a, the ability to destroy life or things needs to have morals, ethics, and judgment. And that's a whole other thing. So. All right. So we're still on machine learning though. Yes. So I feel like I'm leaning toward that. Well, see for me, once again, the whole thing is, is, can the data collected impact the outcome? So the hamburger, let's go back to the hamburger thing. Mm-hmm. If it looks at enough hamburgers, is that needle going to move, or and not hamburgers, is that needle going to move from 96 to 98 because of experience and exposure? I, th- I would think it's a uh, diminishing return. At some point, no matter how many hamburgers you look at, there, there's so many permutations of a hamburger that you can't ever be right. And in fact, I don't know if a human can ever be a hundred percent right, but I, I would be willing to bet cash money that a human will outdo machine learning every day. Right. But will the machine, do we have evidence that the machine learning can move that needle in a positive direction? Because if it can, then it does have learning and growth potential. So as, as you continue to expand, because think about it, it's going to be modularized. You don't learn to walk, talk, do math, write. You don't learn all that stuff at the same time. You learn it incrementally in steps. So, um, you know, the hamburger thing could just be one visual module. And they start to collect these. And as computing gets better and storage gets better, it's not like you need a, an Amazon warehouse to be able to tell if it's a hamburger or not. You know, it gets smaller, smaller, more scope. 
Well, I think they do need an Amazon sized data center. That that's also one of the the problems. You have right, to look today at today so, they do. Well, that, we're talking about today's technology. Right. Because today's technology, the topic of the day, is today's technology really yesterday's technology? And I think it still is in, in this yeah. case. It, it's because, just getting smaller and faster. I mean, as far as that storage space technology goes. But I still think it, it's going to learn pieces at a time. And it's not just... So Microsoft has some, you know intent engines and Microsoft has some facial recognition. And I think they even have the, you know, it will categorize an image for you. They've got those things, uh-huh. yep, but vision. Yep. as that grows, as the library of things that it can identify grows, the technology should also grow to require less computing power and less storage to house more knowledge. So, <laughs> Uh, I got to be careful how I wear this. So I used to work at a company where they had some amazing technology. You would take a picture of a document and it would interpret everything on the document and put it into a database. It was fucking amazing for lack of a better term until I got to run the technology. You want to know how the technology worked, Bob? You crank a lever and I don't know. The, the, the person uploads said document and a human gets a notification that says, hey, you got a new document. Can you look at this and tell me what's on it? Oh, <laughs> so, that's there's awesome. A, there's a term for this. It's called a mechanical Turk, where basically we don't really know. Um, so you're going to have to do this for us. So uh, OCR technology is famous for this, where it can get kind of right. Um, but a lot of times it gets confused or it's too blurry or it's too right. whatever. The human can overcome blurriness much easier than uh, a, an OCR, you know, reader. So I think the, the, to close the gap, is it a hamburger or not? Well, if I'm 96%, sure, I could still be wrong. So how do I say anything with certainty unless I say, well, I think this is a hamburger, but you got to confirm it, Mr. Human. I mean, isn't that the only way? Well, right. But eventually, I mean, there's going to be an acceptable, like 98.9% will be an acceptable, is it a hamburger? And so All they're right. going to move on to another object. So for ha- recognizing a hamburger is great. So it's 98% sure that that is an enemy combatant. Should I arm the Hellfire missiles, Bob? I'm just not jumping so quickly to hamburger versus burglar (laughs) so um so yeah i think obviously they're trying to develop all this stuff in parallel is that right probably not but um it's just it is what it is so so yeah right I, I, i would say of the two so we've got artificial intelligence and we said marketing but really it's just the punch out guys with better decision trees right Machine learning, I'm not willing to say that that's recycled old. So we have uh, science about it. <laughs> the financial industries for decades have been predicting the stock market trends. So I would look at the financial field and say, you know, these, these guys and gals have been looking at data for years, but they've been doing it manually for a long time. Then the advent of digital storage, now we can do it, you know, in mass scale. So but that, that's, again, that's late 80s, early 90s when we're doing this computerized where we're predicting predictive technology, your word. And now here it is 2018. What huge leap have we made? And I'm not willing to say we've really evolved much other than we have faster storage processor and bigger data centers, which really have nothing to do with machine language. It, that That's kind of the, the boat, not the contents of the, the cargo. But I feel like that's gone, and this actually might be a very interesting segue, it's gone from 2D to 3D because now we're not just looking at collections of numbers. We're able to analyze pixel data. We're able to analyze motion data. Um, there's all kinds of deeper analysis that can be applied to a wider spectrum. So maybe that's just technology evolved i guess it's probably just like ai at that time so wow so we've identified two things that have actually been around for quite some time yeah so you know 
somebody will be able to pick us apart and say, oh, you guys are missing this, missing that. I would love to hear, honestly, because I'm, I'm just listening to all the marketing speak and go, wow, this is cool technology. Cool. How do we use it? Oh, well, really, it's just that same old, same old, except now it's on Azure or AWS where you can uh, just store your stuff there and we'll, we'll help you. We'll, we'll charge you. Yeah, that's, that's what we want. <laughs> so if we'll you're listening you. and you think we're full of shit so far, hit us up on Twitter or, you know, leave a comment on the site. Do it. Um, All right. Are we, did we beat the dead horse of machine learning? I bet you we could do a whole episode on machine learning. We probably could, but let's move on to the next witness or not witness, uh, <laughs> accused technology. The next accused. The next, uh, accused technology is VR, virtual reality. Is it new or is it just repackaged? So uh, I was looking at this. There's some looseness on what exactly is virtual reality. And let's define it real quick. It's an interactive computer experience taking place within a simulated environment, uh, mainly auditory and visual, but other types of feedback, uh, like, you know, spring water. Haptic, right, Haptic. Yeah. So um, that, that is what virtual reality is. Now, let me uh, present my, one of my exhibits here. I went to Universal Studios in 2005, and um, they have a ride, the Spider-Man ride. Have you ever been on the Spider-Man ride in Universal Studios, Florida? I have not. So it's basically you sit in a chair, they'll move you around. You kind of feel a little like thumping and G-forcing and you get sprayed water and you wear 3D glasses and you kind of, you're having this virtual reality sort of thing. Does that qualify? I'm not sure because, you know, a lot of times when I think of virtual reality, I think of Oculus Rift, which is eight-year-old technology and that goes, you know, like a, like a thing you wear on your, on your face. and um, you know, I don't know. So blurring the lines, what, what would you consider? Would you consider the Spider-Man ride VR or just a thrill ride? And that doesn't count. Wow, it's a really good, it, it's a good question, but I think it fits the definition. And I'm thinking back even like farther into like the fifties and sixties where they had the movie theaters with the rumble seats and the shock you from underneath. And someone would spray water from the front of the theater I would say that that is, that's probably the earliest virtual reality. Um, in like, what about Second Life? Does Second Life count for something like that? Did you, um, ever, play, did you ever play Second Life? I, I think I remember it, but it, that was just like an online game. Immersive three-dimensional world where you had a 3D avatar and you, you know, you weren't, it, it was still third person. But okay, so I was going to ask you first. to mimic... It was supposed to mimic reality. And I think it was marketed as a virtual world. Yeah, that's so, very interesting because uh, in the 1990s, uh, we had the Sega Saturn, another game reference. And a lot of those games were like Virtual Fighter, Virtual This. And, you know, they prefixed it with Virtua because I imagine, because it was 3D graphics and, you know, vir, you know Virtual Fighter. And, uh, so... I think those count. Those are, you know, I, I could definitely see somebody say, oh, wait a second, guys. Now you're really, you know, going out there. But even like 1980s, remember the old Star Wars arcade? It was like this, like just line drawings and you're like going in the, the trench. You right. Know, it's supposed to look the, like you were going in three dimensions. Yeah. Right. So I think all that counts. I mean, I'm even looking at Wikipedia. Viewmaster. They're counting Viewmaster as virtual reality. And who didn't have a Viewmaster or at least access to one in the 80s? I mean, come on, right? I still looked at mine when I was well into my teens because I thought it was just so badass. <laughs> so I think everyone wants an experience where you can put on a VR goggles and like Oculus Rift. So that does exist. But that was invented in 2010. That's eight-year-old technology. Have you tried um, one? I have not. Have you? I get nauseous. So I just don't do so well. It must be pretty good. <laughs> um, and that's great, but is there any mass market appeal? And have we, in 2018, have we actually done anything with it practically? Question for you. You know, what's the practical application of VR and why should I be excited about it? I have seen and heard that in medical fields or other precision manipulation fields that they utilize VR 
um, for skills practice, for um, mission prep, because they can create the environment and kind of walk through, uh, you know, a series of movements to get familiar, familiarized with the place that you've never been, those kind of things. So I think that's, I mean, probably lowest on the totem pole of the three things we've talked about for practical business application, but also lowest on the totem pole for practical entertainment as well. Yeah. So there's a local agency who, who's, who'll be willing to take your money, Bob, and develop a VR app. I just don't know exactly what the hell the practical application of that would be. So again, it's, it's like all sizzle and no real uh, savory flavor to go, you know, no lasting, you know, this was worth it. It just seems all sizzle. So I'm, I'm looking at VR and going, yeah, neat, but this is just the modern version of 3d glasses. So maybe that's the iteration, but it's already 10 year old or eight year old technology. I mean, what have we had since Oculus Rift when, Oh, by the way, Facebook bought it for $2 billion in 2014. So shows what I know, right? What is that one that I was telling you about that just recently launched there and everyone was starting to think it was a vaporware. Oh, it's another VR headset. I can't think of the name of it though. We covered it a little bit on our uh, year in our CES. Uh, oh. Mindspring. No. Uh, yeah, I don't remember the name, and that's not good for marketing. <laughs> no, it's not. But they, I think they did actually just release a version of the headset, and apparently it's pretty good. But so it's, it's um, not prime time yet. It's totally not prime time yet. So VR, in my opinion, uh, is a novelty technology. It's nothing for me to get excited. So, uh, Your Honor, um, I would like to go ahead and uh, rest my case on VR. Convicted. It's old. It's okay. just recycled 3D. So uh, the, the sister to uh, uh, virtual reality will be augmented reality. And here, I might actually come around and say, you know, this might actually be something that we were making progress on, potentially, and there's a lot of practical application. So let's so, define it real quick if I can. Okay, yep, yep, do your definition. Augmented reality is an interactive experience, a real-world environment whose elements are augmented by computer-generated perception, perceptual information, sometimes across multiple sensory modalities, including visual auditory, haptic, uh, a word I can't say, and olfactory, so smells. All right, go, Bob. Uh, so my question was, does augmented reality actually utilize elements of machine learning because it, it actually does some calculations based on the visual image of the environment to overlay the augmentation, correct? That's a great question. So, yeah, I want to preface preface this with i know not, nothing about development of ar i only know user side so that's a good point because pokemon go do you remember the, the oh, phrase yeah. from two years ago and i don't even know where it's at now so basically you know you could be walking around and chasing a pokemon and get hit by a car all in the same you know thing <laughs> uh <laughs> breath and that is and that is awful reality reality not just augmented and that was a hell of a, a game i i even downloaded tried out see what it was of course Heck I yeah God, I'm too old for this, and I removed it off my phone. But <laughs> um, so that's one example. But the example that I think is just like, oh my gosh, this is this is awesome. Is buying furniture, and you can see it in your room. You know, if you had a spot, you know, you're like, hey, I want this couch. How would it look like in this room? So you put your phone up there and say, this couch, this color, hold it right there, and it would like snap to the room and, and be like. I think that is one of the best examples of practical AR uses. I was going to say, and do you think AR, even though we're just tip of the iceberg with the conversation on it, right out the gate, much more practical application than the discussions we had on VR? Yes, but you know, researching AR a little bit lets you know that it's actually 60-year-old technology, if you can believe it. At least it's got its roots back then. Did not know that. Enlighten me, good sir. The first uh, sort of example of AR is a heads-up display on a fighter jet. Oh, yeah. And so while most people will go like, no, that doesn't count. It totally counts. 
And I even had a car at one point that projected the speed on my windshield. Um, so I could look through it and not have to look down. And that's also AR. So it actually started 50 years ago um, with that. And then um, I'm pretty sure you've heard of a little thing called Google Glass, right? Yep. Something that I don't... Have they ever actually sold that? Or is it just one of those like status symbols for nerds in Silicon Valley? What? You know? I don't know if you could ever actually purchase the headset. So um, that's a that's a cool one. Uh, another AR uh, thing that's been around forever. Have you ever been to a Lego store and held a box up to the camera and it like shows the set built right on top of the box? I've heard about that one. I've not seen that one firsthand. Next time you're at a Lego store, check it out because it's it's really kind of cool. So my kids, you know, we went to Disney World and uh, went to the Lego store. <laughs> Duh. Uh, but yeah, uh, my my youngest daughter held up a box of the camera and it shows exactly what it looks like built on top of the box. So it, it can actually, it does what you're saying. It, it, it recognizes which set it is and it uh, shows the built version. And I think that's one of the, another cool um, use of AR. So um, if, if I were to look at AR and say, have we made any advancements? I would actually say, yes, we have from the heads up display days from uh, uh, to now, but the Lego thing has been around for quite some time. I, I don't know the exact origins of that, um, but I, I have seen like Wayfair app, Lowe's, Home Depot, they are it's all doing augmented reality now. And I think that's really starting to catch on where, hey, you know, we've got an actual practical use for technology here. And um, for me, kind of kind of excited about that. Maybe one day I'll actually get to, I don't know, make one figure out how it works yeah this one i mean again it feels like it's old technology being repackaged but i think the pattern that we're starting to see is that because of technological advances we've actually been able to see an evolution and this one seems to be the most practical at this point but maybe it's just because the other ones are still too too young to show the true potential you know yeah so um any any more thoughts, Your Honor, on augmented reality? No, I like it. All right, let's uh, <laughs> let's release augmented reality out on bail, and maybe right. we'll talk to it soon. <laughs> okay, it, uh, it's still going to come up on records when we're looking for things, though. The next that technology that stands accused is blockchain. Is is so, this our final one too? Isn't it? It Did is. Get, okay, this um, is what I know the least about. Well. Do you or don't you? So blockchain uh -huh. is the technology that underpins uh, cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and things like that. However, it's not just for cryptocurrency. Blockchain, if I could uh, define it here, is a growing list of records called blocks, uh, which are linked using cryptography. So each block contains a hash of the previous block and a timestamp, blah, blah, blah. So long story short, you can cryptographically or scientifically or whatever you want to say. Computationally. Not, yeah, thank you. Uh, struggling there. Uh, whether or not data has been tampered with. And one of the side effects is, is the, the ledger, if you will, can be public and it cannot be altered, except for a little thing called a 51% attack, which is um, kind of a, a side thing. So um, how old do you think blockchain is or isn't, Mr. <sighs> Baby Bar? I have to, I haven't, I haven't been able to quickly equate it with an underpinning technology and that's probably the key. So enlighten me, good sir. Um, so blockchain, according to Wikipedia, was invented in 2008. So we're talking about a decade old technology and Bitcoin has been its most successful practical application, though that I say that very loosely because right. Bitcoin in general is a very controversial thing in of itself. So um, a lot of people these days, you look on Twitter, it's like blockchain, all the things. It's like people like just get infatuated with a technology and they apply it to everything. And I would say that since blockchain has been around for a decade and the best known use of it is Bitcoin and the, uh, the shards of other cryptocurrencies i would say that i'm not excited about block or blockchain because it really hasn't proven itself what what were some of the lesser known 
wagons that blockchain has been hitched to? Uh, smart contract, smart contracts. So Ethereum, which is a cryptocurrency, but you could not have it be a currency. So smart contracts is an interesting thing. So in the sense that I just went through a home selling. So the purchaser, um, let's, they were going to get a more, or they got a mortgage and there's so many things that have to happen before something else can happen. There's all these, like, if this, then that's, and wait for these guys and whatnot. So a smart contract allows you to actually codify all this, put it into a blockchain. And when people, when more than one miners um, validate that something has happened, like, Hey, an appraisal happened and here's what it appraised for. And they can all validate once you get thumbs up from a, a, uh, a plurality or a majority. I'm not sure what it is. Um, then we can say, okay, that happened. Now the next thing can happen. So maybe funds get released to somebody. So all of this can be codified into a smart contract. So it sounds really cool, but I, again, I don't know of anything that's actually like, you know, big name. We're killing it because most of these things are small fringe type companies. And at least from my perception. And so it takes an extreme amount of computational energy to pull off blockchaining things too, right? You betcha. In fact, so much so, you have to give incentive to the miners, which are the people who va validate uh, the blocks or the smart contracts, and you have to give them incentive, which is why we have cryptocurrency. So in exchange for your computational power, your electricity usage, we're going to give you some coins for successfully... Um, mining this information and it's a competition and um, so long as your cryptocurrency has value you're going to have miners when your cryptocurrency has low value you're going to have less miners and you're susceptible to the 51 percent attack which is the whole it's about consensus so if we say hey you really did pay somebody money that's only true if we get a consensus from the network. Because if 49% if of the network says it didn't happen, but 51% said it did, then it happened. However, the converse is also true. If 51% said, no, it didn't happen, even though it did happen, you know, like maybe in, in person, the network wins and you lost. <laughs> so we got to be careful with that. So how does this work in a non-cryptocurrency environment? So let's say that... I have a business need and I'm going to saddle up blockchain to make sure that every step along the way is certified, I guess, would that be the right term? So yeah. then how would I use that internally? I so, mean, it's be giant power consumption for very little return. So it's about trust. If I told you, Bob, that I have a ledger and it's public and here it is. Um, I, if, if you don't believe me, just go to the ledger you can go there and you can see that, yes, it happened. And since everything's cryptographically signed, it's true. However, while you're sleeping, I could totally change all that. <laughs> and then when you come back, we can say, no, look, it, it doesn't say that. So it only really works when there's more than one copy of the, the blockchain so that it can be independently verified. So the whole idea is that it's decentralized. So if, if, if you're going somewhere and they say we have blockchain, but they're also the, the fox guarding the hen house, your trust level should go way down because wait a second, you guys are the only ones guarding us here. You can change that your whim. What makes blockchain great is if you can decentralize and publish this to all these places. And so long as at least 51% say this happened, then we can believe in that because independent people doing this is way more trustworthy, especially if they all have a consensus except for Chase bank who says, no, you owe me a million dollars. So uh, yeah, there's a bit of a, a problem there. So I just don't really understand how it gets applied outside of that cryptographic world though, or the well, cryptocurrency I, world. Sorry. Well, I, I think that's perhaps why we see the pro proliferation and the, the coupling between cryptocurrency and blockchain, because maybe that is the only practical application. It's a get rich sort of <laughs> scheme. Well, right. Deal. So I'm thinking about it like, so, all the large insurance agencies decide that they're going to create a collective and they're going to use blockchain for, I don't know, fill in the blank for a common function that they all do. But so they all have a, 
a business interest, but there's competitive interests as well. So then how would that work? I don't think they would collaborate. Simply. Right. So then how can you apply blockchain technologies across another industry? I, I, I see lots of flaws. Another big flaw is, is since the ledger contains every transaction ever, it's an ever-growing list. So at some point, in order for you to have a copy of a successful ledger, you might have to download a 10 terabyte ledger and it's only getting bigger. You can't download only part of it. You need the whole thing, every transaction ever, in order to prove you know, what it says is actually true because you got to start at the one side and make sure it checks sums out to the other side. See, that's got doomsday device written all over it. Well, that's the problem that uh, Bitcoin has. It didn't, doesn't scale or didn't scale under their algorithms and they have soft forks and hard forks, which uh, turns into this Alice in Wonderland of, well, you may, re if I'm a miner, I may reject your fork. And then we get these different, I don't know how it even works at that point. My, my thing with blockchain is, and we, we got kind of caught up in the, uh, the blockchain fever, cryptocurrency fever, you know, I don't know, last, last fall, last winter. Late fall, yeah. And that was cool. It was very insightful. But I think I came away with that going, you know what, this is a, uh, this is a losing bet for people unless you are, you were in early and, uh, or you can speculate, you have money to speculate. But as far as like, can I just apply blockchain to something outside of cryptocurrency? The answer is yes. But I think uh, the, <laughs> the reality is, mm, I don't think you would want to, you just don't need to. Because for me, the decision tree, if I follow the theme here is, do I want a centralized data store? Or do I want a decentralized data store? Well, your competitive need would say, you know, what? I need to centralize because this is proprietary private information. Right. If I am running a currency where this is a global use common good, then I need it decentralized so that there is no central bank because we think the bank is evil. And so the only real practical application of blockchain is decentralized situations, which aren't a whole lot. There's not a whole lot of incentive to decentralize your stuff. So I think that's one of the problems. FBI databases? I don't know. I <laughs> yeah, but see, the reason you want to decentralize is because you want to in, uh, emote trust in the data. If it's the FBI wanted list database, it's not just a matter of replicating copies. It's because you, you, you put it at a blockchain because you want to make it trustworthy. Well, it's the FBI. Whatever they say, you know, they got an arrest warrant, they got an arrest warrant, you know. What is there to, to debate? When I give money from one person to the other, people try to scam the system and it's a it's uh anti-tampering is is the selling point of blockchain. Nobody's gonna yet, tamper the FBI database. Yet millions of dollars in Bitcoin go filtered all the time. All right, Your Honor, I would like to close uh, this technology with, I think blockchain is a whole lot of theoretical and bloated computational nonsense. It's almost not old or new. It's just bleh. It's just, it just <laughs> lacks practic practical um, application, in, in my opinion. And I'm sure the haters will just love to prove me wrong on that. So. They should probably use the word artificial intelligence more in association with blockchain and maybe it will get more popular. <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> okay. I want to move to maybe a post-trial um, appeal process, if you don't mind. So I was doing some of the Googles and I said, you know what? I've, I've heard whispers that um, Azure offers some APIs and it, AWS as well. And um, so is it possible that maybe some twist on how they're handling things is actually going to change our opinion? So you have a potential, here's the appeal, and we can either uphold the convictions <laughs> or we can overturn them. So uh, I think I sent you a link earlier, uh, some of Microsoft's offerings. So they have, I'll just read some of them if you don't mind. Uh, we have uh, the, the one I think that's most popular is computer vision. That's basically your hamburger. Is this a hamburger or not a hamburger? Um, you get, they've got facial recognition. So 
Uh, it's really kind of creepy. Uh, if you click on that one, it basically tells you how much you have a number, how much facial hair they have. Uh, you know, all some sort of JSON response. You know, facial attributes. Um, it gives you the rectangle like you would see on like Facebook, or this is where their their faces, uh, confidence on their hair color, uh, all these sorts of metrics, and that is cool. But and I think that's fairly new, like in the last few years that you can do this. And I'm certain that something like this, which is really machine learning, didn't exist a few years ago. So I do feel like something like this is new and kind of exciting. What say you? This is, um, this is data collection for further machine learning at its finest. So they make this API available. People use it. They collect the data. Their machine gets smarter. This is, yeah, there's an end game that's well beyond this. Well, just a sheer law enforcement or big brother. I mean, you see countries uh, like China, especially they're, they're, they got closed circuit TV and they can track who you are uh, on the street. And um, so uh, this is mind blowingly cool yet really scary technology. However, stuff like this, when it's applied in this way, I really think this is kind of new and exciting. Um, but they've got other offerings like the Azure bot service, conversational things. Those are cool, but we've had linguistical uh, interpreters through computers for years. So I think there's a blend between what's new and old with as far as the Azure goes. What I didn't see on Azure, maybe I just can't find it, is they don't really offer an AR or VR API, but AWS does. And they've got something called Sumerian. I don't know if you saw this or not, but um, the way that this is uh, pitched is it's the fastest, easy way to create VR, AR, and 3D experiences. So um, I have heard about this one. I, I'd never heard about it, but it, it gets me kind of excited that they have some sort of thing to do it um but without going deep in it i mean I, I i don't know so do you know anything about this uh just that just that they've got a basically you can build your own environments that's okay so <laughs> I, i'm looking at some of their images here so basically this is like a game level editor put into vr goggles or ar so so there's, again, it's kind of a blend of, well, we've been doing this for years in the gaming industry, but this is bringing it to maybe a different practicality where putting it in developers' hands who don't do gaming. Well, uh, Adobe has uh, VR editing video software. So you can edit together VR scenes for use with the uh, headsets. Okay. So... I think these offerings are cool. I don't know if there's any non-Microsoft, non-AWS offerings. Are you familiar with any outside of these two? No, not other than the the video editing through Premiere that I was just talking about. But that's so, really not building an environment. That's just editing the videos. So we have a two-panel judge uh, appeals process here. So if I were to look at some of these technologies, I would say AI machine learning, AI is definitely still guilty. You're going to jail. I would say machine learning um, with some of this facial recognition, um, some, some other cool stuff exposed to these APIs gives me a little hope that we're actually doing some cool stuff nowadays. As far as uh, VR goes, I think you're going to jail, buddy. You're, you're <laughs> just, just, you need to think about what you need to do in the future and come back at a, a better technology. AR, I think, um, it was wrongly accused, probably. I think, even though it's got roots back in the day, I think, you know, we've come a long way and I think we're, 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 we're tr blazing a trail. We, <laughs> like I'm doing anything. Uh, <laughs> the folks who are doing these things are doing uh, great things. And blockchain um, needs to be sent to uh, the... Uh, See, uh, the junk heap. Yeah, uh, exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of like, I can't remember which Star Trek it is, but they're on like this ice planet, prison planet with the Klingons. Anyway, that's where it needs to go. Blockchain just need to go away, please. What say you? Uh, I'm right there with you. I, I do think a lot of these technologies are probably going to be converging 
when the data collection phase gets mature enough. I think a lot of this stuff with the machine learning, with these, um, you know, these APIs or these endpoints, these tools that are being offered up uh, are just part of a, a bigger data collection effort that are going to make the machine smarter. And then maybe that's part of what makes virtual reality a, a game changer eventually up the road because there's been enough data collected about the physical world to recreate some really positive experiences in the virtual world. I don't know, but I do think that there, I think having gone through this conversation for an hour, I think there's a lot of overlap and convergence with most of the stuff that we've been talking about. So if I could marry two technologies, it would be machine learning and AR. So I could take a room and it would design it for me, just a yeah. blank room. And it would say, okay, here's what it looks like. As I hold up my smartphone It'll be like, let's, we can do that. We can do ship lap over here. We can do a, a cool hipster bar over here with some pendant lightings. You know, I want it to tell me what it thinks the room's personality is, or at least give me choices. I think machine learning and AR could totally do that. You get day. interviewed by, you get interviewed by an AI machine learning assistant. They walk you through your likes and dislikes. You say the digital assistant says, Hey, I'd like to take a picture of your room, hold your phone up based on our conversation and based on your room, based on the, you know, the things that we have available through these various vendors, here's what your room could look like. Yes. Um, and a totally unrelated note. So I listened to a recent podcast of .NET Rocks. I don't know if you listened to that one. Mads Christensen was on there. Oh, and nice. unrelated to what Mads does for a living, they asked him a very fun thing which was what would you like your digital assistants to do that they don't do now and i can't believe i've never thought of this he wants it uh, a mode where it requires manners please and thank you or or alexa won't do anything i find myself saying please and thank you all the time to my digital assistant so that's very interesting it would be great because the kids it's like hey i mean they're talking to alexa all the time but alexa should only you know uh, fulfill their wish. I feel, I feel like it's a genie sometimes <laughs> um, if they use proper manners. So I thought that was kind of interesting. It's coming. It, it'd be nice if, if she responded, you know, when I did use kind language, if I used the please and thank yous. Oh, that was very nice. It would be great if, and if you, it was in that mode, you were cursing at her. I don't know if I've ever cursed at my I have. She doesn't like it. She's like, I would like it if she fought back a little bit. <laughs> well, she, goes, she goes, that was not very nice of you to say. And uh, whatever happened to our different voices? Remember the Super Bowl ad? You know, new things coming. That was the ever... IHOB. That was, that was just another version of IHOB. <laughs> <laughs> well, because I would like, you know, to customize my assistant's voice. Maybe I want a male voice. That's another thing. They kind of hard-coded the word Alexa, which is feminine. Uh-oh, comes, comes the Bob telling me I'm stepping in poop thing. Um, you know, I would like, when I first heard of the Echo device, I was thinking, oh, well, I'm going to pick my own name and I'm going to use the word Jarvis because that's the name of the onboard system for Iron Man's suit from all the you know superhero movies. But I was sorely disappointed when I... I think Echo, I think Echo is one of the names that you can use though. Echo, Amazon, and Alexa. Those three are the ones you can use. But I would like to be able to set a custom one in my humble opinion. Of course you would. Of course I would. All right, Bob. It'll come. It was good stuff. It was a great episode. And uh, hopefully everybody that's still listening, uh, give us that like, give us that subscribe, leave us some comments, five-star ratings, the whole ball of wax. We'd love it all. Hit us up on Twitter, Bob and Kevin Show. And uh, with that, I think I'm going to sign myself out. Bring the lightning.